Poetry night rings through. The Boston Globe says, and Jack always loves it when I say this, when I bring this up, the Boston Globe says, in the poetry world, Jack McCarthy's a rock star. It's never made sense to me. I mean, I, under I understand and I appreciate the sentiment. I mean, for sure. But I couldn't possibly be the type of person who knows a rock star, if that makes sense. That Jack would come to our readings, that he would drive ever-increasing distances to come to our reading to read two poems and then turn around and go home. Um, like, why would a rock star do that? This didn't make any sense to me. Um, but we've been very, very lucky, very lucky to have him do that, to share it with us. And I don't think there's anyone here who would disagree with me. Does anybody disagree with me? Because <laughs> we're going to have some words. It's not true. Doing good, Jack? Ready. Ready? Yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, it's my pleasure. Would you please welcome Jack McCarthy to our stage? Thank you, thank you very much. Uh, let's get down to poetry. <laughs> this poem is called Substances. Sometimes when it's my turn, I say, my name is Jack, and I'm constitutionally a stranger to moderation in any of its forms. That scene in Aliens, when a little squid-like thing flies across the room, fastens on someone's mouth, and it'll never come off without killing the person. We're like that. Except with us, the squid didn't fly across the room. We sucked it. <laughs> That's how it was with alcohol. And when I started drinking, I started sucking cigarettes. And from the bottom of my heart, loved every drag that ever scummed the cilia of my lungs with the resin of its residue. The only way I could stop drinking was to hook myself on meetings. They give shape to the day. And it was at those meetings I got onto coffee. And by the way, when the last smokers in the USA are bounty hunted down, they'll find them at AA meetings, sometimes watching reruns of Cheers. I wonder how Sam Malone stays sober. You never see him going to meetings. But then it's obvious. He's upgraded his addiction onto women. Well, <laughs> little shape to the day, never hurt anybody. You go, Sam. When I started meeting coldness in my first marriage, I got into jogging, like entering endorphin maintenance to stave off heroin withdrawal, like Mithridates taking controlled doses of known poisons, like lockjaw vaccination. We are like birds that in the winter of pain migrate to Guatemala on the wings of our substances. We are incapable of residence. Our essence is long-distance flight. We dare not risk the pain of owning anything. Even the paths of our migrations are seasonal. And winter's never more than nine months away. 
I stopped drinking only when it hurt too much to drink. I stopped smoking when it interfered with jogging. I stopped jogging when the pain in my hips started waking me up at night for ice cream, (laughs) which had to go when my cholesterol reached escape velocity. I haven't had my cholesterol tested since, but it's been fine. Coffee and Canada mints and the aspirin I take for my hips are eating at the lining of my stomach as I speak. All my life I've borrowed from Peter against my body to pay Paul for my emotions. And now Peter's tracked me down and nailed foreclosure to my door for the 14th and final mortgage on my organs. And all I can say is, (laughs) I gave him a good run for his money. (laughs) Soon, the only thing left will be poetry. And maybe that's how it was supposed to be. Arcade of substances that seem to ease the pain. But all you're playing is whack-a-mole. You bash it here, it pops up there, till suddenly you stumble on the substance of your destiny. And understand at last that all the pain you ever gave the slip was pain of not doing Thank you very much. And we're going to do uh, a lot of these poems are seem topical, but they were almost all written before I got into this medical situation. This one is called, excuse me, this one is called The Death I Was Never Afraid Of. My son-in-law, Mark, works for an elder who says there are three major lessons he has learned getting old. One, never pass up a bathroom. Two, never let an erection go to waste. And three, never trust a fart. Yeah, I thought it was funny, too, till it starts happening to you. Real life these days is rife with mournful realizations. When they ask how I am, my stock answer is, the body is breaking down slowly. But the operative word is slowly. But I don't like this breakdown, however slow. I'm a guy who didn't think I'd live to see 25. I would go out heroic, trying to rescue some little girl from some hypothetical raging river, or ignominious, drunk and asleep at the wheel. They'd all say, it was the way Jack would have wanted to go, doing the three things he loved best, drinking, driving, and sleeping. (laughs) Pity they're such a poor combination. What I was really shopping for was a thane of Cawdor death, one of which they'd say, nothing in his life became him like the leaving it. I was a martyr whose only cause was If you've got a blacklist, I want to be on it. It wasn't enough that I burned my draft card. No, 
I had to mail it to the White House. I was James Cagney yelling, Come and get me, coppers! And adding, Please! Failing a worthy cause, I was prepared to bypass revolution and go straight to execution. My last words already written, quote, I only regret that I have but one life to give for whatever. <laughs> My lack of fear of death was based on an implicit assumption that the manner of one's death should be in some way elective, to be chosen from a menu of death options, none of which could be called suicide. And on that menu, any death I wasn't afraid of would be quick, like the one Satchel Page had in mind when asked how he felt about flying. He said, airplanes may kill you, but they ain't likely to hurt you. Maybe it's an ethnic thing. Irish fishermen traditionally never learned to swim. It was a conscious choice, a relatively quick death by drowning, preferable to the long, cold, and probably hopeless swim for survival. And those wonderful, thick, wool, Clancy Brothers sweaters, guaranteed to drag you to the bottom fast. <laughs> when Gabrielle's body broke down under chemo, and she shuffled off to hospice. It wasn't what I'd been praying for for her, but neither was it what I prayed against. Death doesn't scare me, but chemo does, the more if it be doomed to fail. And this breakdown of my own body, however slow, cascading systems failure. This is the death of a thousand cuts, death by entropy, death of a thousand goodbyes, goodbye to alcohol to cigarettes, to jogging, to grilled cheese and bacon sandwiches, peanut butter and bacon sandwiches, to bacon, cheese, peanut butter, potato <laughs> chips, banana fana sundaes with coffee ice cream, to ice cream, to coffee and to french fries, to baked potatoes dripping with butter and sour cream and chives. Oh, wait, chives are okay. <laughs> I have said so many goodbyes already. This is death by doctor's appointments that get closer and closer together until they simply squeeze out all living by the most important sign on the road being the miles to the next rest area. This is the death of dignity, death by stool sample, by prostate exam. This death is a long, slow process, not the death I signed up for. This is not the death I was never afraid of. Thank you. Now, while I want to bring Ron Hardesty up on the stage here. We're going to do a couple of numbers together. While Ron is getting up, I want to talk about one line in that poem where it says, Death doesn't scare me, but chemo does. And when I wrote that line, when I wrote this poem, I believed that. And a few months after that, I found out that I was going to have to have chemo. And I thought, you know, hundreds of thousands of men, women, and children have gone through this and come out the other side. And there's no reason in the world I can't do that too. And, and it was 
not I was not afraid of it. I thought I was afraid of it, but what what it was was it was high on a list of things that I hoped wouldn't happen to me. Now that's not the same thing as being afraid, and I think I think we have a lot of us have these vague fears in our life um, that that this thing would be really awful. They're not real fears, most of them, because. 90% of them, you can, you can look at them and you can say, hundreds of thousands of men, women, and children have done this before me, and I can do it too. That's Ron, which song would you like to do first? I got Pilgrim on the top. You got Pilgrim on top? Let's go with Pilgrim. I'm just a pilgrim on this road. I'm just a pilgrim on this road, boy. I'm just a pilgrim on this road, boys. This ain't never been my home. I've felt out of place my whole life. Ever the transient, everything temporary. Anytime I start feeling at home, it's a warning sign. There's another move coming. There is a road involved. The question is, am I walking down the road? Or am I walking in place while the road passes under me, like a treadmill in some universe gym? Sometimes the road is rocky along the way, boy. Sometimes the road is rocky along the way, boy. Sometimes the road is rocky along the way, boy. I was never traveling alone. I worked so hard so many years at so many unforgiving jobs, but I was never traveling alone. I was carrying people. It's easier now than it has ever been. Carol drives off to work every morning, and I stay home and play at being a poet. Every day feels like the first day of summer vacation when I was 12. We'll meet again on some bright highway. Songs to sing. Tales to tell But I'm just a pilgrim on this road oh, Till I see you fare thee well Meet again? Maybe so I believe in life Some variation of life after death For you as well as me Bright Highway sounds about as likely as anything. Maybe we'll have better things to do than meet again, and songs and tales, better things than we can even dream of. Or maybe we'll be nostalgic and full of questions. Did James ever figure out how to run a fucking bar? <laughs> Did Ryler go back to being a dental hygienist? They make pretty good money. Nostalgia is not the worst case scenario. 
Ain't no need to cry for me, boy Ain't no need to cry for me, boy girl is brilliant. When she was in kindergarten, her teacher used to introduce a topic by asking, as teachers do, does anybody know, thinking surely that no one would? But Megan very often did, and Miss Gagan would ask, Megan, however did you know that? And Megan would say, I don't know. I just always knew. When I tell you there's no need to cry for me, don't ask me how I know. I just always knew. I expect to touch his hand, boys. I expect to touch his hand, boys. I expect to touch his hand. do touch his hand frequently see God talks to me quite often but he always does it through other people whenever I hear God's voice somebody else's lips are moving it happens most often at AA meetings and at the end of those meetings we all stand in a circle and hold hands and say a prayer and when we do that no question in my mind God's hand is in that circle does God listen to me very different question but maybe so most of the people I pray for every day are doing okay you ever want me to put a word in for you you let me know On some bright highway Songs to sing Tales to tell But I'm just a pilgrim On this road I'm just a pilgrim On this road Go right into Louis Louis, yeah.
for my name. The Center for the Arts in Natick, a steamy Saturday night in June. I had been called at the last minute to open for someone described to me as a 92-year-old fiddle player called Louis Bluey. My set went well, and I parked myself near the back door so I could sneak out quietly if Louis Bluey wasn't to my taste, and it was hard to think that he would be. He sang, When he calls me, I will answer. I'll be somewhere listening for my name. I'd always been the youngest kid in the class, formative years always knowing every grown-up in sight is older than you. Then one day you look around a crowded room and you're the oldest person there. How often anymore did I get a chance to sit with someone 20 years older than I was? That night I got a little taste of heaven. Why do elderly black men have so much dignity? Sometimes I wonder if it's just in this white head that I look at them and imagine all the shit they must have had to take, more even than me, the quiet triumph in their faces, just to make it this far, just survive. I'll be somewhere listening, somewhere listening, somewhere listening for my name. I sat and listened to Louis Bluey run through standards he had learned in, in his teens and twenties. Lady Be Good, St. Louis Blues, Chinatown, doing one course in actual Chinese. At least Louis Bluey said it was actual Chinese. I laughed at Patter that was 50 years old when the Smithsonian recorded him. I watched him spin his mandolin. I'm no critic of musicianship but I know confidence when I see it. Toward the end of his set, it was apparent he was getting tired, but he was having a good time that was so good that it overflowed onto anybody in charisma range. When I've done my last show, I'll be somewhere listening for my name. In my poetry, I'd been flirting with darkness, and this darkness had been leaching into my performances. But as I sat on my hard folding chair near the back door of the center, I experienced pure light, and I wondered if I might be looking at myself 20 years down the road, and what a great thing that would be. I'll be somewhere listening, somewhere listening, I'll be somewhere listening for my name. And as I listened, I found myself thinking about God. Because like everybody else, sometimes I want to ask, if you're there, why is the world so screwed up? But every so often a Louis Bluey experience comes along, and I get an answer. And I thought about my early days of sobriety, one foot in the door and one out the way that any serious Gemini goes into anything serious. The old timers told me I'd have to ask for help, that most of the time my help would come from people, 
But the, the day would come when I would have to call on God. And I said, no way. And they said, way. Don't you believe in God, they asked. I said, of course I do. I'm Catholic. They asked, do you trust God? I said, not for one minute. They said my problem wasn't not believing in God. It was that I believed in a stupid God. That what I needed was imagine a God who would help me when I needed help and pray to that God. And the amazing thing, maybe the real miracle of the whole story, was that I listened to them. I tried it and it worked. When my work on earth is over I'll be somewhere listening for my name That was a long, long time ago. We were young and we were improving. A while back I fell down a flight of stairs at work and broke my shoulder. Witnesses said I was lucky I didn't break my neck. They say when you start falling down, the end can't be far off. And I wonder if that offer about God is still open. If I still get to picture God the way I want to. Because I think the time has come to start praying to someone who looks a lot like Louis Bluey. When I prayed my last prayer And I've sung my last song Whatever God there is is surely old and maybe gets tired. But I think there's one thing the people who talk about God always had right. And that was when they said that God is light. Pure light, like Louis Bluey. No darkness at all. This is the kind of God I need today. A God I can trust for whatever comes next. I'll be somewhere listening. I'll be somewhere listening. I'll be somewhere listening for my name. I'll be somewhere listening. Somewhere listening. I'll be somewhere listening for my name. Sing it once more. I'll be somewhere. Thank you. Just for Ron Hardesty.
ければ。